The Coltrane just ran over and through the Rays lineup. It was a very much needed series victory in the Yankees' own personal house of horrors lately. After dropping four of their first five series, the Yanks have not lost one in their last seven. They are a season-high four games over 500 and are knock, knock, knocking on the Red Sox door for first place in the AL East. Our special guest this week is friend of the program, former Yankee, and the first ever DH, Ron Bloomberg. Let's have some fun. Join us, won't you, for the latest edition of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter for updates on the show. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43, and at Jake Brown Radio. Subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find podcasts. If you're an Apple user, we would appreciate you giving the Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write it a nice review if you would. We will be joined later in the show by a friend of the program, a Yankees DH of the 70s, and author Ron Bloomberg. But first, oh baby, Nelly, break up the Yankees. 20-16, and 16, just a game out of first place in the AL East. My, what a difference a couple of weeks makes with the New York Yankees in 2021. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you look at the season, and I don't think they ever say there's must-wins, but remember we were talking on Monday that Tampa game one was a must-win for the Yankees, especially over the last couple of years that the Rays have had their number and their feeling in their dugout and their clubhouse that, oh, you know, we're going to walk all over the Yankees. And the Yankees went in and the first two games, they said they made a statement. They said, you're not walking on us. We're the best team. And what a great job Cole did last night. 12 punch outs. The games were close. Uh, that's how you love to win them. I mean, you love to blow these guys out, blow the Rays out, but they won two close games and now they're walking high. They got a chance for a sweep. You know, it was so nice to see that they went in with an edge. Yeah, we, we've been very critical of the starting rotation since the season began. And for good reason, let's be honest. But we have to give credit where credit is due. And some credit has to go towards the Yankees' front office. I, I mean, lately, what we've seen out of Corey Kluber with his changeup, uh, he, he's been phenomenal with that. And we saw Jordan Montgomery in the first game against the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, they're always geared up for a fastball. And Montgomery was sneaking in that changeup and making them look silly tied a career high with nine strikeouts. Uh, and then Garrett Cole, I mean, you talk about, he throws a lot of FU fastballs, Nelly. And when he gets ahead of hitters, he doesn't mess around. You know, there's not really a lot of sequencing with him, uh, especially when it comes to the Rays. He knows the house of horrors that the trap has been and what the Rays have done to the Yankees since September of 2019. And that's what the Yankees needed because the guy who used to take it personally in the rotation He's no longer with the team. That's CC Sabathia. We talked to him earlier this season. If you haven't listened to that podcast, you could still listen to it and get a lot out of it. But Cole, he takes this stuff personally, Nelly. And I think that trickles down to the rest of the rotation because I can guarantee you he's in that dugout on his non-throwing days and he's spreading that, uh, pardon the expression, virus 
through the rest of the Yankees rotation? Well, when you watch CC, you, he had a lot of emotion and he, he took it serious. And, and, you know, he was a great guy to learn from if you're a young starter and how he went about his job and how he took every start that, you know, he wanted to shove it up, you know, where the other team. And Cole does the same thing. You know, that's what an ace is about. I mean, we I said before, yeah, we were critical on the starters. We didn't know how they were going to do. They weren't going deep into the game. Uh, next thing you know, the last few starts are going deep into the game. And with Cole, you know, he his pitch count started creeping up there around the fifth or sixth inning, and the next thing you know, he's out. And for an ace, you got to give this team seven, eight innings. And over the last couple starts, he's done that. Yesterday against the Rays, his pitch efficiency was very good. He threw 106 pitches in eight innings, and – and I heard Boone after the game, and maybe if it was bigger score, maybe if they were winning by a, a little bit, a few more runs, that he probably would have completed the game. Instead, you you know, go against, you put Chapman in, who has been out, absolutely outstanding as the closer, probably one of the best ones now in the league. Uh, but he ta- Cole went out there with a, with a plan. He, he had an edge on him, and that's what you want to see. You never let down against the bad teams. You know, if you're Cole, you know you can beat those guys. But when you go up against the Rays, the Rays have had your number, and you want to set a statement, and you want to go out there, and you want to be the ace, you finish guys off early. And, and he didn't get into very many deep counts yesterday. And when he did get ahead, it was like, here's 97, here's 98, try to hit it on the outside part of the plate. And the Rays had no chance. And, and that's what you want to see out of your ace. I'm, I'm going to give you some, some numbers here, Nelly. Since uh, April 18th, when the Rays swept the Yankees in the Bronx, since that date, the starters are now 15-7 and seven with a 257 ERA. They are second to the St. Louis Cardinals in the majors in ERA since that date. The Cardinals are at 244. And how about this? The great run for the starting rotation. The starter has allowed three earned runs or fewer in 21 of their last 22 games now. The first 20 of 21 in a season since August 26th to September 16th, 1981. You ready for these names, Nelly? Dave Rigetti, Rick Russell, Ron Guidry, Tommy John, who kids only know as a surgery today, and Rudy May. How about that? Yeah, you know, it's it's it reminds me it reminds me of the guys that I the, the starters that we had when you had El Duque, you had David Wells, you had Cone, you had Gooden, uh, Jimmy Key back then, Clemens, Pettit. I mean, these guys fed off of each other. It was almost a little a friendly competition that they always wanted to top each other, and that's what seems to be happening now over the last I'd say two weeks. You just yeah, mentioned the numbers. It's that baton. No one wants to drop that baton. Yeah, it's like, and even you, you do it in the bullpen as well. It's like, okay, hey, you know, our starters, and that what that's what makes a pitching staff that much better is when you have starters. Everybody says, oh, you know, you have such a great bullpen. You have a, such a great bullpen. The Yankees have such a great bullpen now. A lot of it is because of the starters, and the starters are giving you six and seven innings, and all you have to do, because Chapman's going to eat up the last three, and if he loses a game, it's almost like Mariano. I'm not going to ever compare Chapman to Mariano. That's, that's impossible. But Chapman's been so good, it's like lights out. It's like, okay, you know, forget about it. You know, the last, nine inning, last three outs in the ninth inning, the game's over. Just worry about the, last, the seventh and the eighth inning sometimes with these guys. You worry about nine outs, sometimes three, sometimes four. But it's all because of your starters that go deep into the game that allow you to have such a great bullpen. That's what we had back in my day, and that seems to be what they're having right now. They're having great starts, and they're going deep. I don't know if kangaroo courts still exist in locker rooms across Major League Baseball today. I know they existed in your day. 
I know sensitivity they, now. So they, 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 yeah, I, these, I know they existed in our guest who we're going to hear from later on Bloomberg's day, of course, back in the late 60s and early 70s and throughout the 70s and 80s and 90s when you were there. Uh, but I have to know, I mean, as I'm as you're giving me that answer about no one wanting to drop the baton on your teams, if somebody did give it up in the bullpen, were there consequences after the game? Did you have to put money into a pot? Did anything happen? Were the starters held accountable like that? What went on back then, Nelly? Well, we had rules that you had to wear long pants, so we just beat them with a stick in their legs, and then they came out with a lot of bruises. But uh, that, that was about the only thing. Wait a minute. Is that true? The- <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, it's a, you know, because – it's easy when you have when you have multiple outings as a pitcher, whether you're a starter or a reliever, you have multiple outings in a row. You know you're going to not have success every single time. So it makes those times where you do mess up. It's never easy, but okay, it's easier to get over. It's like, ah, oh, you know what? I had a I had a speed bump in the road. You know, I'm over the speed bump. Now I'll go get him the next time. So no, it was you didn't feel too good. Obviously, you never feel too good when you give up runs, but at the same time, it was a little bit easier to get through. Say, you know what, we're going so well. I'm having great outings in a row, just like these, this team now, that it's easy to get over. And success for teams, and you go looking back at all the World Series teams, they have great starters. Yes, they have good bullpens because the bullpens are utilized a lot more than uh, you know they have in the past because of the pitch counts, analytics, the third time around the lineup and all that. But you know, the, if you have good starters and you they get you deep into the game, then that that – just translates into 13 guys, 14 guys of an outstanding pitching staff. And it it really takes the pressure a lot on your offense. If your offense is struggling, your pitching will pick you up. I mean, you're going to win close games like this, and it's because of your starters. In, in the NFL season, after week one, the Monday after that is always called overreaction Monday. And uh, I'll, I'll admit it, you know, and I'll admit when I've been wrong and when I've flown off the handle – you know, being that rabid fan that I am on this podcast, and and I I went a little nuts early on in the season. And well, I, everybody had a right though. You had a right. I mean, I was concerned too. And, and you know, at the season, I mean, we're only talking what is it May second week of May. I mean, it's it's, it's you always have early, to wait. You no always have to wait to Memorial Day though. You you can never go off the rails until Memorial Day. If you're looking at your team and they're under five hundred around Memorial Day, then you could start legitimately going off the rails. I, yeah, but I, you had questions. I mean, the way they no, were playing, we they were going through the motions. I mean, they were like, okay, you know, they're just going up and they're showing up and putting the uniform on. And once they stepped between the lines, nothing was happening. So, you know, it's like they needed a kick in the, a kick in the ass and they, they needed that. I, I get it, but I, I like being transparent. And I know our producer, Jake Brown, is probably sitting there listening to this going, you were just killing these guys two weeks ago and now you're all flowery, blah, 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 blah. I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, listen, it wasn't just you, Shearney. I mean, all I saw it all over Yankees Twitter. The fans were going insane. I was actually thinking of, because you mentioned Tommy John, I pulled up a text from him where I asked him to come on a show once, and he sent me, call me baby cakes in reply from Tommy John, the great pitcher. Uh, call me baby cakes. There you go. Did you, well, call him baby cakes, and maybe we'll get him on. <laughs> <laughs> so known hey, for the cakes. surgery and his sweet talk. Like come on. Yeah, I think he thought I was like Jackie or or uh, Jacqueline, another maybe uh, person he was oh, texting. Oh, he might have thought you were one of his hookups. Yeah, that might have been it. 
Ew. Anyways. Anyway, um, so Jake actually did uh, uh, did me a favor there, and he segued into Yankees Twitter, which is where I wanted to go next. So good job out of you, Jake. It's a scary place. About that. Yeah, scary it, place. It is a scary place, and you have to be you have to have a very thick skin if you want to be in that Yankee Twitter feed. But it, it, it amazed me that during the one nothing game, people were bored. I, I mean, I don't know about you, Nelly. But one nothing, two one, three two. Those are my kind of games. I want to be on the edge of my seat. I want to see the pitching. Now, look, I'd rather see Tampa have starters that could go the distance, like Cole. I don't like, you know, the the clown car of pitchers that comes in every other inning for Kevin Cash and company. But it, you know, whatever works. If it doesn't, if it's not broke, don't fix it uh, for them. But that game yesterday. Uh, that, uh, I should say, Wednesday, as we take this here on a Thursday, that game was tremendous. I, I love games like that. Yes, yeah, so a close game is great to see. But offensively, you know, you watch you watch the game again. And, you know, I don't want to be a downer. Offensively, all throughout the baseball is, is a joke. It's terrible to see. And, you know, when we do talk to Ron Bloomberg, you know, he was the first DH in the American League or first DH ever. That's one of the things I think next year they're just going to implement. Sorry, Jake. If you're a non-DH and you want to see the pitcher hit, you got oh, to do something to get these pitchers to stop hitting. You, you know, I they're hate awful. It. Because There's outside Jacob Degrom, they can't. They can't hit outside Degrom. I mean, Degrom just hits pitches, does everything. It's a joke that the DH uh, isn't in the league. And you know, I talked to Hojo last week, and Hojo likes the pitchers hitting. And I was like, what? So I really think that D should be universal DH for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think so too. You know, there's nothing, there's no National League type ball anymore. I mean, there used to be when Hojo played, when I played, there used to be, there used to be, okay, here's National League ball because they, they manufactured runs. The American League was always, hey, you know, let's wait for the three run homer, which they're doing now. They still, they still stole bases and they still did stuff, but not like the National League. That's why I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's why your Yankee teams had so much success because Joe Torre brought that from the National League to the Yankee dugout when he became the manager, no? Yeah, we did We did everything. I mean, we did run. We did hit and run. We tried, you know, first and third. Uh, the Yankees were always big on trying to steal that run at third, especially if there was a slower, or a quicker runner on third, like Derek Jeter or one of the faster guys. Uh, you would have a guy just break from first and get hung up in a rundown and make the catcher throw through. And at the same time, we would steal run that way. So it was always exciting baseball. You know, having the DH is probably a little bit more exciting than watching the, the last two or three guys in a National League lineup hit. You know, I, I'm like, oh, here we go. Pitcher's up. Here's an easy out, especially if you have two outs and all of a sudden the, early in the game, your starter's hitting. Okay, well, that's the end of that rally. It gets old. It's such a weird season in baseball. The Giants, the A's, and the White Sox are, are the high watermark teams over 500 right now at eight games over 500. And let's not forget the A's started one and seven. The Dodgers started 13 and two, by the way, and they're 20 and 17 for crying out loud. It's just bizarre world. Like you said, Nelly, all throughout baseball. Well, the White Sox are a good team. You know, the Dodgers are a good team as well. They're just going through some funk. They have really good starters. I don't understand how they all of a sudden started falling off the cliff. The one thing, the one team that's surprising me in the American League didn't mention was the Red Sox. I mean, the Red Sox, yeah, they have a really good lineup. Now, you know, you look going forward, they're going to get healthy. They're going to get Chris Sale back here probably the same time as the Yankees get Severino, who who just started throwing batting practice today. Uh, you know, you look at the Blue Jays, they're going to get healthy as well. Uh, 
I, I really don't. I still, you know, even in the beginning of the year, I really didn't give the Rays that much credit, and I still don't think they'll be there at the end. I'm just not, not the way they use their pitchers. Yeah, no. not the way they use their pitchers. They They're they barely analytical. made it. Yeah, they barely made it through the World Series. I mean, that you could look at that as being why they lost that series to the Dodgers, and we've talked about that before. But getting back to the Yankees here, they they wrap up the uh, the series with the Rays. Then they move down to your old stomping grounds down in Baltimore, Nelly, and they, they play the Orioles Friday through Sunday. So I think this was a – we talked about this before this race series started when we did the podcast on Monday. This was a must-win series for the Yankees. And, and if there's any must-win series in May, it was this one. Go down to the trop, handle your business at a place that you 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 couldn't win to save your life in the past couple of seasons and then get out of there, get out of Dodge and then go take care of business against the Orioles. You know, take another series. You don't have to sweep them. Just take two out of three, keep winning series after series after series and good things start to happen. And you could see the confidence building, not only as a team, but singularly with players too, Nelly, you could see it with certain players who started the season slow and something I like to see. And we gave Gary Sanchez a lot of gruff at the beginning of the season and well-deserved, I mean, let's be honest, but something I like to see in that first game against the Rays, not only did he hit a home run, he went the opposite way. And to me, when when Sanchez was doing all of his damage when he first came up, that's the kind of hitter he was. He took a low fastball and he took it the opposite way. That's something you like to see. And hopefully he's starting to get, he starts to get some consistent at bats here. I know Higashioka is doing a great job with the staff right now. You might not want to break that up. But I think you still need – you can't give up on Gary Sanchez just yet. You have to get him consistent at bats, and you have to see if he could break out of things. Because if he starts to break out and you have this lineup clicking on all cylinders, Luke Voigt is back. Let's not forget about that. It's been a little – a bit of a slow burn for him in the first couple of games that he's been back. But if you get two or three of these guys, just two or three in a zone, this lineup is fine. And the way the staff is pitching and you couple that with the bullpen – Let's go, Nelly. Let's go because this team, there's not too many that compete that can compete with them in the American League. Well, I think this, this lineup is going to be fine with or without Gary Sanchez, and I think that is going to be the biggest issue throughout the rest of the season. You know, everybody talks about, you talk about, everyone talks about a consistent at-bats for Gary Sanchez. You would love to see him break out offensively. And then that'll translate behind the plate. I think he's he's okay if he's hitting. Then I think his catching's better. But how you know how how much do you wait? How much time do you give him to try to break out? Because then does all of a sudden your starting pitching starting to start to suffer? You know you know that okay Cole's always going to get Higashioka. Uh, is Kluber all of a sudden going to start throwing to Sanchez? Is Tyone? Is is Herman? Uh, you know. Are all these guys going to start? I mean, how much time are you taking away from your starters by catching Gary Sanchez because you want him to you get back offensively? I mean, that's going to be the biggest yeah. issue. And the Yankees have to put feelings aside, and they have to have a serious discussion with, with Sanchez, and they have to have a serious discussion with their pitchers. Look, it'll probably never become public, but Nelly, that is a tremendous point. I think that has to happen. That has to happen within the clubhouse walls. They need to discuss this and they need to get on the same page because it's not about personal egos or personal numbers. It's about this team winning their 28th World Series championship. And it's something that they've been trying to do since 2010 and they haven't been able to do it. 
you know, I know Gary works hard and there's no doubt about that. Nobody questions, questions his work ethic. And as far as him going up to all the starters and always talking to them, especially in spring training, from what I heard, he went up to every single starter. He wanted to know exactly what they throw, uh, what situation. He just wanted to be the best behind the plate that he could. And, and you know, that's great to hear. Well, I you think know, he and, sees the writing on the wall, too. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just... You know, that's just going to be it's going to be I don't know if it's a fun issue, but it's going to that's the biggest issue, I think, besides keeping these guys healthy is what do you do behind the plate? Do you give that time to let Gary break out offensively or you say, hey, we don't have that time. We need to get our starters deep in the game. And the only guy that's doing that right now is Agashioka, because if you look at it, catchers force starters to throw pitches that they're really not comfortable. They don't have a great feel, you know, just say Kluber's change up. You know, maybe sometimes Kluber in his back of his mind saying, you know, I really don't have that good changeup today. And Higashioka say, no, we got to throw it in this situation. We have to make sure that the hitter knows that you still have this pitch because if they all of a sudden they know that you don't have it, they're going to start sitting cutter. They're going to take you the other way, and it's not going to be a great outing. Good catchers make pitchers throw certain pitches or get them through innings. Jorge Posada did such a great job with David Wells. David Wells would give up sometimes on the mound. And he would go out there and jump his ship and say no. And he, next thing you know, he's throwing eight innings and giving up one run. So those type of catchers are the guys that you need behind there. It's just a matter of what the Yankees are going to do as far as giving Sanchez, or if they do, time to break out offensively. And guys, the Yankees close the series against the Rays on Thursday before heading north to Baltimore to face the Orioles and returning for the Yankees in the broadcast booth, as he has just announced on Twitter, number 29 right fielder, Ken Singleton, right fielder, color commentator, number 29. Yeah, his first series, right? Yeah, that was his first series. That was an attempt at Bob Shepard. call the yeah. Oriole game when the Yankees are in the Orioles. He, Oriole, he tweeted, look out, on my way to New York for a weekend series between Yankees and Baltimore. Games will be played in Baltimore, but that's the way it is for now. Looking forward to working with real Michael Kay and Meredith Morogorowitz. Hashtag back in the saddle, friend of the program, Ken Singleton. We, we, we love us some Ken Singleton, but you need some work on your Bob Shepard. <laughs> well, let me hear yours. What, let me hear you want to hear Shepherd. my Bob Shepard? Yes. Well, Derek. wait, Nelly started to do it. Nelly first. Oh, I can't do it. Forget Let's it. hear it. Derek Jeter. I'll give you my, I'll give you my favorite <laughs> Shepard name that he ever pronounced when I was in the stadium. You ready? Now batting the shortstop, number 20, Alvaro Espinoza. Shortstop, number twenty. I didn't think mine was worse than that. I think <laughs> oh, we were come on, same yeah, level. it was terrible. It was yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> you know that was a nice thing about you know you look at Bob Shepard. I don't know if you guys have been around different different parts of uh, of the United States and gone to different games. They used to have so many good PA announcers. Minnesota had one. Oh my, I don't know if you guys when Kirby Puckett was there. Oh, this guy was awesome. And then even even in Baltimore, they had uh, Rex Barney, I think, was a public address announcer, and he was amazing. I mean, they had so many good ones in the day. Even out in Oakland, which they're, I, I hope they do move. They're, they're exploring different – maybe Vegas. They even had a good – they had this guy that was really, really had a deep voice, and it was like you couldn't wait to go to some of these places just to hear them introduce players. I feel like now it's more NBA. Like, the Garden is great at MSG. At Knicks games, they have a great PA guy. Yeah. The baseball announcers, I feel like they're not as iconic as they used Minnesota, to. Minnesota, this guy used to say, now batting, give me bucket. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that's all – it's Shane Mack. 
Sheer, I don't even remember the New Jersey Nets days. You came on, uh, we'll cross-promote here, Full Court on Flatbush podcast on Wednesday. And when Jason Kidd was there, he go, Jason Kidd, 4-3, or... Todd McCullough from Jason Kidd. He, he got he got me pumped up as a 11 year old in the swamps and making that trip. He made it exciting. Oh God! And you know what? Nelly was just talking about all these catchers, uh, and we're going to talk about another catcher coming up next year on the Pinstripe Pod. Uh, that would be Thurman Munson, the former Yankee captain, of course, the late great Yankee captain Thurman Munson, and Ron Bloomberg, uh, the original DH in Major League Baseball, wrote a book called The Captain and Me with Dan Epstein. It's called The Captain and Me on and off the field with Thurman Munson. And if you liked what Nelly was talking about with the catchers and how they handle their pitchers, you want to pick up this book on Amazon. Go there right now and get it. It's tremendous. And when we come back, we will talk to the author, the designated Hebrew. Joining us now on the Pinstripe Pod, a friend of the program, former Yankee, the designated Hebrew is back, Ron Bloomberg. Uh, he joins us. Uh, he has a new book uh, that's coming out, uh, the Captain and Me, on and off the field with Thurman Munson. Uh, Boomer, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Well, it's great to be able to talk to you and uh, Nelly. And uh, uh, the book came out about a month ago, and it's doing extremely well. It's been on Amazon top five list for the last month and it's been really a fun piece and it's a really a great book it's it was fun to do it took a year or two uh, basically to write it I had a great co-author Dan Epstein he wrote for the Rolling Stones and uh, this has been a really a fun book and I'm trying to do everything I possibly can to Thurman get into the Hall of Fame so maybe that will work. Boomer, I, I got a copy in the email that was sent to me, and I, I got to tell you, I sat at the kitchen table this morning after I woke up, and I started reading it, and I couldn't stop, but then unfortunately, I had to stop when I got some other responsibilities thrown my way, but I got 70 pages through, and there's a couple of things I learned that I have to ask you about, and I'll, and I'll go first here. You know what, Nelly? You never should have deviled eggs around Boomer. I, I found that out early on in the book. No, you never. You know what you should do is never let me be the DH and start the season. <laughs> too much to and, do. You know, hey, too much spare time. Oh, a lot of spare time. You know, I hey, let me tell you something. Nobody had any idea about the DH. It was a joke at first. It was like a glorified pitch hitter. It was really nothing to do. I mean. Uh, I opened up course up in uh, Fenway Park against uh, Louis Tion up, up in Boston. Basically broke camp from Fort Lauderdale where it was close to 90 degrees. And then we went up to uh, Boston where it was close to like 30 degrees. Elston Howard was the hitting coach and he was always next to me. And basically what he told me to do was sit next to him. And he looked at me, he said, you, you're crazy. Don't sit next to me. Go up into the clubhouse and the clubhouse up in Boston it's so small uh, anyway, and Nelly would know. And it's really nothing to do up there. And at that particular time, there was no TV. There was a radio, and you, you had your small little lockers up there. And Vince, who was the uh, clubhouse guy, when I was sitting up there, when the game was going and I wasn't uh, up to bat, saw the eggs come out. And uh, Vince really wasn't the greatest provider in food. And the only thing he actually had when we played up where up there was the eggs and the kibbasis. He brought the eggs out. I'm sitting up there, freezing on the bench, 
So I'm sitting on my bench drinking a Diet Coke, and I saw the eggs come out. And the first thing I said to Vince, can I have an egg? He said, of course. So it was not one egg. It wasn't two eggs. It was like 10 to 15 eggs. And, hey, I'm listening to the game, eating, doing nothing. I eat uh, three quarters of the eggs, and, and Thurman came down uh, at the uh, second inning, came running in the uh, the clubhouse for something, and he saw that I was sitting there, and the eggs were most of all the eggs were gone, and he loved the devil eggs, to be honest with you, and uh, he knew there was not going to be too many devil eggs left, so what he did was he took those devil eggs and put them in his locker, and uh, he ate them, and uh, nobody else from that day on, the clubhouse guy made sure that he never brought any more devil eggs. But hey, that was hey, that was what I did. I hit, listened to the game, and I ate. How could you beat that? <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you were going. It was going to be one of those practical joke things that you did something to the eggs and uh, you know had had a little fun with the guys while you were in the clubhouse because DHing and, and being a middle being a reliever was the same thing. We didn't have a lot to do in the beginning of the game, so I would mess with people's food and. And especially on Sunday with the cream donuts, maybe some mustard would be in the donuts instead of cream. And maybe those hard-boiled eggs, some of them were a little soft and uh, some real eggs when they went to crack them. So you got you to you livenly, liven things up a little bit. You know, you know, Ronnie, I miss you, man. You know, it's uh, not seeing you at fantasy camp. This is a little rough. Well, you know, hey, let me tell you something. It's been a hard time. And, uh, you know, luckily, y'all, uh, uh, Nelly, you're in the city where things well no no you're up in new york now you know you're not yeah, back in florida, forth, florida new york yeah yeah i'm uh in atlanta and it's opened up pretty good and uh since we have never been 100 percent lockdown uh i i think the the biggest lockdown that we went through maybe 60 to 65 percent now it's 100 percent open and where you are up in new york you have no idea what's happening because I mean, every single day, everything changes up there. And hopefully we will have a fantasy camp, you know, this coming season. And we know with uh, uh, Chris is hopefully going to be down there. He's going to be my uh, uh, starter down there. And uh, maybe he could pitch a few innings. And uh, Nelly, Nelly winds up winning every single year. And uh, I do miss you, Nelly. It's been fun for the last quite a few years. And uh Hopefully, I'll get to see you uh, maybe at the stadium this year if things open up to see you and uh, bring back old times for me. But uh, do miss you, big guy. He's uh, at Ron Bloomberg, Bloomberg one on Twitter. You could follow him on the Twitter machine, and he has the new book out, Captain and Me, on and off the field with Thurman Munson. Get back to the book here, Coach, and uh, and I appreciate you uh, making me your starting pitcher. I would love to come down there. My my perfect day would be to start on the mound for the Bombers and then face Nelly later in the game and hope that he doesn't plunk me with oh, the I thought slider. you going to go to right field like Shohei and <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't want to face Nelly. No, no, no. This guy can. Hey, let me tell you something. This guy can hit. And this guy, well, the good part about fantasy camp, he really didn't get to hit too much, uh, I guess, in the American League. But when he gets down to fantasy camp, and the, on the Saturday games, he gets at least like 45, 50 ABs. And uh, this guy can actually hit. I mean, I need uh, you as my agent, uh, Ronnie. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you can hit. You can play. You're a great athlete. I mean, hey, you know, most a lot of pitchers are not great athletes. But this guy is a great athlete. He didn't need the DH. 
this guy could hit as well as anybody. And uh, watching him stand up there and, you know, hitting up there. Nelly, you're a great athlete, big guy. That is a dazzling. That is a dazzling fact. I had no idea that Nelly could hit, Coach. Oh no, no, you didn't see this guy. This guy could play. Uh, you know, this hey, you could tell he's a great athlete. I mean, great arm, great athlete. Hey, you should see him pick it at shortstop. Really? Uh, you know, I, this guy could play. Wow. Hey, uh, hey. Who do you think no, taught no, no. Bernie Williams and and Paul O'Neill how to play outfield? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Hey, let me tell you something. If I had a, a team, you know, I think you told me. I know it might not be you. It might be Sturzy. He, he signed as a shortstop. He's but, a wild. Uh, yeah, Sturzy did, yeah. Yeah, Sturzy signed as a shortstop. But I guarantee you, if you would have played uh, shortstop, if they would have – well, I, I, you probably did, you know, in high school. You know, Would have never heard uh, of Derek Jeter if that would have happened. Well, no, you know, uh, <laughs> hey, you, you could have played third base. I mean, it's it's uh, you would have played someplace because you can hit. If you can hit like you do in fantasy camp, you could be on anybody's team. How about this? Uh, because I, I was fascinated by this in, in, in the part of the book that I did actually get to, and I plan on finishing it this weekend. It's a tremendous read. And just go to Amazon and get the book, Captain and Me, on and off the field with Thurman Munson. Anything that has to do with Thurman, I, I'm all over. And it was fascinating to me that you were the first Jewish player on the New York Yankees and how Thurman embraced the Jewish community with you and used to go to the delis and he used to marvel because you were, you know, they have foodies today, coach, but uh, you were like the original foodie back then. You you actually got the guys kicked out of a buffet down in Florida. But tell me about the delis that you used to go to with Thurman. Well, it was easy. Back then, we fortunately, we didn't make too much money. And uh, I signed in 67. Uh, he was uh, number one draft pick for the Yankees in 68. And we met down in spring training in 69. And, uh, we love to fish. We love to play golf. We love to, you know, he loved to eat. I love to eat, of course. And we just got along extremely well. And, and I knew right off the bat, here's a guy from a blue collar guy from Canton, Ohio, had no idea what matzo ball soup, pastrami, corned beef, half sours, and the Dr. Brown was. And, you know, I knew being Jewish and being like 20 minutes away from uh, uh, Miami, where all the delis were. I frequent those places quite a bit, and I knew back then I didn't have to pay for any meals. I just bring them a pitcher, and you sit down, you eat. Took him to a few delis down in uh, Miami Beach. He had his first uh, matzo ball soup, first pastrami, first corned beef, first half sours, potato salad, coleslaw. I mean, he had the he had it all, and Delicious, he loved it too. Oh, yeah. well, conditions. And what he really loved, Pudge really loved, was the cheesecake. And uh, he always had the uh, strawberry cheesecake. You know, I mean, we had a great time. And the good part about it, when we started playing, he took me up to uh, Cleveland, introduced me to White Castle. So oh, I boy. took him from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. That goes I along with the deviled from, eggs. Uh, the you deli, might as well just eat that on the, the toilet. To the White Castles. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, White Castles are pretty good. And they're like a nickel apiece. Back when we played, making no meal money, I mean, uh, a nickel was a lot of money to us. 
they go through you like castor oil. Well, now today you mentioned White oh, Castle. You, th- you think of the movie Harold and Kumar and people uh, <laughs> doing a little activities before they go to White Castle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, absolutely. Plus, you know, I mean, you don't have to eat prunes. You could just eat White oh. Castle. Oh, my God. <laughs> See? <That's> the- <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he had me going talking matzo ball soup. I, as a Jewish man myself, Ben's Deli in Bayside and, and the city, they got rid of uh, – uh, Carnegie Deli is gone forever now, which was the classic pastrami. I don't know if you ever got that. Oh, no, no, day. no. The stage deli was. And I used to... Uh, and that's not even around either. Now it's cat. Cats is about the only place that's good. And cats is, cats is... I can get Cats's to deliver to you, Boomer, yeah. if you they want. They do. I know they, they do, but they're too expensive for me. But let me tell you something. They got the se- uh, Second uh, Avenue Deli. But they don't have any other delis around New York. You know, hey, I guess when we go to uh, Old Timers Day, hopefully they'll have it next year, that they'll open up some delis around and uh, we could walk around uh, New York and be safe up there and uh, eat the food. Yeah, it it was great for us staying at the uh, Sheraton and walking directly across the street. You got the Carnegie. I didn't like the Carnegie. Uh, The stage deli, they had a sandwich named after me. It was corned beef, pastrami. And what I did not like, they had uh, a chopped liver. You know, being a Jew, that was great. But then I I, I brought Art Chamsky up there. Everybody knows Art, of course, because he was with the 69 Mets up there. And they uh, they had a sandwich named after him. It was ham and cheese. How in the world did they do that up in? Uh, <laughs> uh, how they do that up in uh, uh, with the stage up there? But Katz's, I really wasn't a really a big Katz's uh, eater. You know, I, that was too far downtown. It was very very simple. Thurman and I we used to eat at the stage almost uh, like maybe twice a week during the uh, homestand. Uh, we used to go down there and have the matzo ball soup and had all the great foods. And it was wonderful. It was great. And the parking was great. It was better because, you know, nobody could park on the uh, street except us. So the police never bothered us. They told us we could park right there. We ate. We left. We went back home after the ball game. It was perfect. It was great. Ron Bloomberg, author of The Best Jewish Delis in New York City, <laughs> coming coming soon. <laughs> That's your next book there, Ronnie. <laughs> That was great. Thank you, Nelly. Thanks, big boy. Hey, Ronnie, I grew up an Oriole fan. And, you know, back in the 70s when I used to watch the Yankees come into town, I really didn't know too much about Thurman Munson, but just his competitive nature. And then being a Yankee and being around an old-timers day in fantasy camp and listening to all the stories with you, Mickey, and Tion, and Oscar, and, and Bucky, all these guys that played with Thurman Munson, you just knew the competitive side, and you wrote this book to to tell the softer side of Thurman Munson. Tell a little couple stories about about that, about what he was like off the field, because everybody knew him on the field, or, or at least I did, because all I saw him when he was on the field behind the plate. Well, let me tell you something. He had the it factor. He was a natural leader, natural captain. Even when we didn't have a captain, basically was, with the pitchers, with the staff. I mean, he was unbelievable with the staff. I mean, he was a – we didn't have analytics back then. Uh, He was a total computerized catcher, knew exactly what to do. You know, he was a dirty guy in a sense where he never shaved, always uh, went on the field, always ate his uh, hot dogs or – you know, some type of food. He would always have his have his ketchup or his mustard on his part of his front of the uniform be, 
before he went out to the field. He was a dirty guy. And sometimes he wouldn't even take a shower after the ball game. Off the field, he was just, just incredible. We did so many things together. I mean, making no money back then. We lived up in New Jersey, and we rode together uh, to the ballpark almost every single day. And, and people didn't realize we did so many uh, telethons up in the city. We did these the Shriners, Jerry Lewis telethon, and he was such a home guy in a sense where him and Diana and uh, his kids, and unfortunately that's where he passed away in his plane crash, was in Canton, Ohio uh, on an off day. They were basically was in Cleveland, and the uh, team took the uh, flight home, and he stayed in Canton to visit his, the kids and his family. And, and uh, people didn't realize when he was off the field, when we went to these telethons, I mean, he was just a loving guy. I mean, we used to go in the hospitals. We used to do so many things at the Sloan Kettering, Lenox Hill, uh, Einstein Hospital uh, in the city. We used to visit kids all the time. Went in there, we're laughing, and we came out like with tears in eyes. And when he saw somebody, when he saw a child or, you know, an older person, very, very sick, he would always hug them. And, and people didn't realize that. We had such a, a, a love relationship off the field in a sense where we did so many things together, his family and my family. And, and uh, he was just a wonderful guy. I mean, he was, it, it was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of relationship that when we went to restaurants, uh, he was great. He would sign autographs for anybody and everybody. He would talk to people. And people looked at him because they would see him the next day in the paper he hated writers, and, you know, he pushed the writer. You know, he was yelling at a writer, and but the writers loved to, you know, that was print form. But off the field, you know, I mean, he was the best of the best, Ellie and Chris. He was great. Yeah, uh, Coach, we really appreciate the time. As I said, I've only scratched the surface with the ebook that I got an email, but I intend on finishing it this weekend. It's a tremendous book. Please go to uh, Amazon and order it. Uh, the Captain and Me, on and off the field with Thurman Munson. Uh, you could go to triumphbooks.com backslash Captain and Me. That's triumphbooks.com backslash Captain and Me, or head over to Amazon and pick it up. Uh, Coach, I'm looking forward to an autographed copy when I purchase mine. We appreciate the time as always, and we hope to talk to you later on in the season as well. Well, I got you, and Chris, Nelly, y'all are the best. It's great to be able to talk to you. And Nelly, I'm so happy you're happy. Chris, I'm so happy you're happy. Get the book. The book is great. It's in the top five right now. It's been like that since it's been out for over a month. People love the book. Get the book. That says goodnight to episode 52, the CC Sabathia edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a positive review. We appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back in your eardrums on Monday after the three-game set in Baltimore over the weekend. Happy trails until we meet again. Thanks for listening, folks.